Hello, book lovers, dear listeners. Welcome to the Little Pages League with me, Shanda Montail. This is the podcast where we meet with children's book authors. Now let's dive in backstage into the magic of storytelling. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Today I am talking with children's book author Alicia Carbo Gua. Did I get it right? Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. How are you? Yeah. I am well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your podcast. It's, uh, it's really nice to, to see you, and we'll take it from here. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a real pleasure to have you. Of course, we've talked a little bit because we did a promotion together, but yeah, I'm really enjoying meeting everyone, and I think this was the perfect way to do it, you know? to have the podcast, to meet the people behind all this internet stuff. Right. So what kind of a day do you have? in? Are you in Toronto, isn't it? This is correct. Yes, I'm in Toronto. It's uh, very nice and bright. A bit cool today. It's, it's really nice. It's a nice day to go and go for a walk. Wonderful. We have a rainy day in Dublin. But yeah, I, my mom would like to go to the cinema, so we'll see. Hopefully it will stop. But he has been drizzling all day. Okay, shall we start? So Alicia, I think your little characters in your book are really fantastic, very unique. Who are your artistic inspiration or heroes in that field of art, design, whatever you want to call it? Yeah, in terms of design and art, initially, two people that I look, that, that made an impression on me, one was going back in time, was Toulouse-Lautrec, his posters, and in the 60s was Milton Glaser. I really like also his art, his illustrations, his posters. Say they did inspire me. Great. And can you recall from those people a particular artwork that really meant something to you? From Milton Glaser, probably the Bob Dylan poster. He uh -huh. made an amazing, it was very innovative at that time. And then, I don't know, from Toulouse-Lautrec, probably the Moulin Rouge type of posters that yes. had several studies on that, and that was interesting, and also very innovative at that time, too. What was innovative about them? Actually, there was quite a bit of use of color and typography. For example, uh, Milton Glaser was able to integrate the typography with the, with the illustration uh, very well. And, uh, uh, and uh, Toulouse-Lautrec was also, he, he used both. Uh, and there was a lot of, of movement and, and dynamic on, on those, uh, on those uh, posters. Those were in, okay. like something different at that time. Uh-huh. And walk me through your creative process. How did you come up with such unique characters? Well, the characters I took from my grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> so actually the characters of adventures um, <clears throat> with Voku are Malena, Ollie, and Samuel that are my grandkids. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then there is that robot uh, Voku that takes them on adventures. So the, they are my inspiration. <laughs> and the robots came from whom? That is a funny story that uh, few people know about, but actually I was drawing Buku and then I realized that he really looked like my husband, like a picture. 
a picture of my husband when he was a kid at school. And that was really cute. His nickname was Bukun. So I called this character Buku. So that's the story behind. It's very sweet. And what did he say? Did he make any comments oh, on your was, character? He was very amused by it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. What tools? I think we talked a bit about it before, the tools you're using now. But just for the purposes of this episode, tell me all about what tools you use and why you use them. Yeah, I use the main tools I use are pen and paper, of course, to do the initial sketches. And then I use a lot Photoshop as well as uh, CorelDRAW. Uh, CorelDRAW is a vector program for illustrating. So those are the two tools that I use most of the time. Even while working with CorelDRAW, I incorporate the photography as well. So I use both. Okay, simultaneously. Yeah, in some cases, yeah, because it allows me to, for example, if there is a bark, if there is a tree, it allows me to actually include on that tree the actual picture of the bark of a tree and then be part of that vector illustration. So there is a lot of, it's fairly creative, all the things that one can do with that. So you're using textures from nature? Yes. With the drawings. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Fascinating. And what, which part of the process takes you the longest? Coming up with the characters. We, we'll get on to writing in a moment, but even within the illustrations, what takes you the longest? The planning, probably the planning of the, uh, because it's a children's book, it's a pictures book, I try to, as much as I can, it's not always possible to have a spread over the two pages. And to plan this, at times it's a bit, it takes a bit of time to, to do it properly. And of course the characters, because they are my grandkids, so I don't want, I want to do it as well as I can, no? So they feel good about it. Yeah, which brings us to which piece in your portfolio are you most proud of? Probably was the development of Buku as a character, as a robot that would introduce all these adventures on the kids, you know, lives. So probably the Buku. You don't strike me as someone that would have writer's block or how do you deal with it if you do have it at all? Uh, yes, of course it happens. So yeah, what it's good, what works for me is to just step away from my computer and from whatever I was doing, go on to something else. And then later, start afresh again. At times a good cup of coffee helps with that. And Is that your secret, coffee? Yes. Very good. What has been the most challenging thing to date? Yeah, I find most challenging the illustration. And, and in terms of writing, it's probably the kind of be able to set everything together, like the planning of the story, the outline of the story. This uh, takes more time. Of course. Yes, and a lot of tweaking, isn't it? Did you hear about the AI introduction into Photoshop that now if you have, for instance, a photograph and let's imagine that you want a rectangular format, the picture that you have is only a square. Now in Photoshop, you can select the sides with a little bit of the picture and it will produce an image based on the edge information that you gave it so that you can fill the whole 
rectangular. Have you played with it yet? No, not yet. I have not. I saw a similar feature with Canva. I guess that all the softwares are trying to incorporate the eye as much as possible. But no, I haven't had the chance to do it yet with Photoshop. Okay. And is there, you know, the way that technology is evolving so fast, it's hard to keep up. Yes, I do believe that Anva has the same aspirations to compete, obviously, with the other things out there. Bookbrush, I think, would be their main competitor. But is there anything in these programs that you thought to yourself, oh, if this was able to do this would make my life much easier? Or do you envisage where technology is going? Or is it too early to try and guess? It's, I think it's, things are moving very quickly. So we don't have almost time to assimilate the technology that something else is coming. So it's difficult to predict what's going to happen, but we have to be kind of alert, especially as creators, because it's, it gives a lot of options and opportunities, but may also interfere on our own creativity in the sense of getting used to or start using things that think for us instead of us making the effort to do it ourselves, that kind of thing. No, So it's very good. But we have to be very careful how we use it. Sure, absolutely. There is. I am actually doing a workshop on the legal side of things at the end of September. Do you listen to Mark Dawson's podcast? I am familiar with Mark Dawson, but I haven't listened to his podcast. It's great, actually. Him and James Blatch, the last one I was listening into. They always come out on Fridays, actually. So it was yesterday. They were talking about that now with Amazon is trying to obviously keep up with the changes. And now when you upload your book, they want to know, obviously, if this is a book completely done by ChatGPT or if you did a couple of paragraphs and then you heavily edited, or if you use the couple of paragraphs that are lightly edited, and the same goes for images, of course. Yeah, it's going to be another learning curve for us, isn't it? Yeah. There is a lot coming on. How about, how do you incorporate your own experiences and emotions in your art? Surely, one of the things that I notice we have in common, you, you do want children to learn about nature, isn't it? Is right. that because you have a concern about how things are going with nature, how we treat nature? Absolutely. And this is what motivated me to write my first book. At that time, there were very serious forest fires in Spain. I was based at that moment in Barcelona. And I just felt that unless we educate our kids, uh, it's going to be very difficult because grown-ups don't seem to do anything. So it's important to educate them, to educate children. So as they grow up and they are in positions of making policy and, and doing things, they, they have a kind of a conscious about all these, all these things that affect the environment and nature in general. Yeah, did you see floods, earthquakes? Yeah, it's all coming. Yeah. Yeah, and we had at the beginning of September, not now because it has started to rain, but the beginning of September was summer here, like the hottest days in Ireland. I believe that because in Toronto, we had 40 degrees 10 days ago. Wow. 40. Wow, 40. That's hot. And that's September. And that's September in Toronto. So it's crazy. That's like mid-August in the south of Spain, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you had to describe your style, 
in only a few words, how would you describe it? Okay. It's more, I use very bright colors. So are bright and at times as daring are the kind of combinations of them. Because it's for children and the children are very visual. So I try to get their attention and because I like it as well. This is something that comes natural on me to do. <laughs> of course. Yeah. If you were stuck on a deserted island and could only bring three art supplies, what would they be? Okay. In this case, it would be paper. For sure, a pencil and lots of colors. <laughs> okay, I think we are over the tree, but it's okay. And do you have, I just met, my last interview was with another author, a illustrator. And he, he loves doing zombies. And I think his follow-up book to the zombies is about the Bigfoot. And he had a really cute thing in his books that was all the characters at in one scene of the book had Michael Jackson positions. Do you ever hide something that you like or that you observed in your own drawings? Actually, I did, and I, it never occurred to me to do that. But it sounds like fun. Maybe I'll try it next time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're getting ideas, isn't it? What, so, and what about, let's talk a little bit about your writing process. And I gather from what we've talked so far that you are not obviously against authors using AI. And you obviously Photoshop now has a lot of AI. So I wonder how that will fare when you fill in you know, your Amazon, when you, you're about to publish your book, yeah. you need to fill this new survey. It seems like actually a survey, to be honest. They just want to know because they, it's not obviously to catch people that are doing the wrong, you know, because they will lie and go through anyway. So I think they're just trying to ascertain and I think there is quite a few court cases. I saw one, I can't remember the name of the chap, where the courts were not accept that that was his drawing. And he shows what the final product is and what he actually got from the AI. And there is a lot of work involved in what he did. It did take some of the background one of the characters, and then he repositioned everything. And in fact, I think the, the prize that the image got was the best composition and AI hadn't given, them, given him that. So it is a tricky thing, isn't it? Because once you have your own mark on something, it's the same as taking inspiration from any other art, isn't it? Like what you were saying about the people that inspired you in the beginning. So you obviously take something from them when you're doing your own. So I don't know how this is going to be resolved. I think it's quite a tricky thing. So obviously you have to be able to set your drawings and the book you have to start with the text, right? Right. So what's that process like? So for me, that process is first to select the topic because it's always something that I want kids to learn about. So once I have the topic, then I do quite a bit of research. I look published articles. I read as much as I can on that particular topic. So I have that on the background of my mind when I start planning the story. So then I do uh, the outline. I do a general outline of the story. And when I am happy with the different scenes and when how the story is set, then it's when I start kind of writing and based on, on, on that outline. Once that is completed, then, and I'm happy with it, I go through many drafts. 
I send it to a group of friends to for a reading and even kids. And then I get feedback. And based on that feedback, I, I go over it and I make whichever changes I, I think they, they should be made. And after that, I send it to the editor. At times, there are many coincidences. And I said, look, this is something really needs to be changed. At times, it's a question of personal taste or personal. So in this case, I go my own way if I think that oh, it's, I am more happy with that. Or like, I may take somebody else's hint and do it. And how obviously all these people are in your advanced readers team. Is it a large group? How large is your group? It's because mine is only like 12 people at the moment. I, I do want to grow it myself. But yeah, I wonder how big is your advanced readers team? Yeah, it's a small. It's a small. It's about eight people. It's a small. That's good. Okay. It's a start. I'm no, just... I'm... Exactly. Me too. Me too. I'm just wondering, I, I have a question and this is for me personally and very specific to children's books. I don't think I've got the hang of transitions yet, that I'm getting a few comments that maybe the transition is a bit too fast. How do you deal with transitions? That's a big problem I'm having now. I just... <laughs> I'm just missing the oh, third okay. I give it to my advanced readers and the transitions are the common I got. <laughs> so I have to think about that. Yeah. Sure. I made them slightly longer with a bit more detail. And I think I normally like to have them between 750, 800 words. I know yours are bigger, longer books. And to go over my established kind of cutoff point, it's not a problem, but I did it. And then my editor ended up cutting most of the transition. So I was thinking, oh, obviously she doesn't have the same opinion as the advanced readers. I don't know how to fix, you know, so I probably actually just leave it for her to make the decision because I think I have to learn more about it, obviously. I need to, yeah, improve my skills on that. What, what are your goals then with these books? Yeah, my goals are to help kids at, at an early age to better understand their world and so that as they are growing up, they have certain concepts more developed and that eventually will help them as grown up. Yes, we always remember things from when we were small, even taste, isn't it? Is yeah. there a food that you used to have when you were small that you still love and crave for it? Yes, my grandmother's cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, yes. You, you grew up in Spain. Wasn't right. it? Yes. T tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I grew up in, in Spain and I, it was, it was very nice in the sense that I had a big family, a lot of cousins and we had a great time together. We would spend our vacations together, some in, in, in the Monsenia range in the mountains and we were cycling like crazy. We had a lot of fun together. So that was a very nice and fun part of my life. The most, uh, something I remember a lot of my childhood. And uh, in a way, maybe that's uh, also what it gives me that kind of interest for kids' adventures, that kind of thing, because we really had fun. So that was something good. And so obviously your grandmother was doing her cooking at this time for all of you. What was your favorite dish and why? Huh. My favorite dish. That's difficult. She no, she actually made a really nice paella. She really her paella was really nice. It was great. And even though I tried later and I have the recipe, I just cannot it's not the same thing. 
And the ingredients are different because even though in Canada you get ingredients from everywhere, but there are certain things that are not the same, are a bit different, the flavors, it's just not the same. Absolutely. I, my favorite Portuguese soup is called caldo verde, which is couve portuguesa. It's a green that is very specific to Portugal. And you slice it really, really thin and you add potato and onions. And then you're supposed to add chorizo and olive oil. Wow. Nice. It is my favorite Portuguese soup and it's very healthy. But the chorizo that they use in Portugal for that, I can't find it in Ireland. It's impossible. When I go there, I bring a couple, but they soon disappear because I, I did grow couve portuguesa in my garden. Oh. So I can actually make the soup. I got the seeds in Portugal. Hello, I'm taking a wee break to let you know how important your support is through this journey. If you can, visit my Patreon, which has a Little Pages League podcast tier, or you can search directly the Fountain app for Little Pages League podcast. Every little kindness will help me greatly. Thank you. And now, let's get back to the episode. So what do you think then the impact of what you are creating will be? Do you have a wish? Yeah, yeah. My wish would be that the kids beyond the story, beyond the adventure, they actually capture the message. And uh, that has a positive impact in their lives. That's my wish. And the message, it's all about saving nature, isn't it? No, depends on the, each story has a different theme. So actually, the second one is about rules. Is to to help them understand the value of rules. And and the one I'm writing now uh, that I almost finished is about tolerance, prejudice, respect. So it's a bit of a tricky theme. Yes. uh, (laughs) Your transitions will be difficult on that one. Difficult. That's a funny novel we've <laughs> Yeah. So you're about to publish the third book. So two are out, but you have another one. What's it called? The Curious Planet of Rules. Okay. And then this one, when is it coming out? The last one? The last one will come out probably on the first quarter of next year. Yeah. Okay. Sometime January. It, if I rush it, it may be ready by Christmas, but it's not a good time to, to publish a book that is too much competition from the big publishing houses. So it's, I think it's better if I wait a little. Probably will be January, February when I publish it. Oh, so you are thinking ahead and set yourself up for success. I, yeah, obviously, Christmas is everybody will be looking for something, isn't it? Yeah. Every time we write a book, it does something to us, isn't it? There is a growth or a realization that you learned something that you didn't know. What what lesson have you learned in your professional journeys? The fact that, for example, after I select a, a topic that I think has a, it's, it has an interest for kids, it's interesting for them to learn. I do a lot of research on that particular topic. So I do learn things that, and I see things that probably before I didn't. It's, a, it, it's interesting from that viewpoint, no? Yes, absolutely. And I've discovered... So many amazing things about bees and some of them I still don't have answers for. So I'm going to interview actually a beekeeper next because I have so many questions that maybe he will be able to 
show me. I didn't realize, for instance, that it's the hive, not the queen, that leads the hive. Oh. And that they are rootless. So that when they don't like a queen or the queen is getting to her old age, they kick her out. And normally it, they all swarm on her and kill her. Wow. So I never knew that there was such violence on a hive. So that's what I'm struggling with this third book because it's all about queen bees. Right. And I want to tell them the truth. So this is what's happening in nature and there is no reason to shy away from it. But I would like them to remember it more as something that they can observe themselves and then look for it when, you know, the time is right. Yeah, it's very tricky, isn't it? Yeah. And you don't use AI for your research? No, I haven't actually used AI. The only time I used it was two days ago, but was not to do anything. It was just to see, I was curious to see what happened. So I was looking at Canva and I saw that Canva had AI. So I said, oh, so let's what it can do, no? And I, I tried a couple of things and just to see what it was all about, but I don't use it. And what did you discover? That it could combine images. It could combine different types of images together and create a new image, no? So mm -hmm. that kind of thing. I just quickly, I just took a quick look and I found that that had this capability, no? Yes. Like I, I discovered the, the one about Photoshop and I think it's very interesting and it will save a lot of time. For instance, using AI for research is like the experience of going to the library 15 years ago. My most cherished books and moments are from, for instance, I one time I took all the movies from Akira Kurosawa, who is a Japanese film director. Yes. Very revered in Japan. He did The Seven Samurais. is a very famous movie. And I took all the books from the library. Before, 15 years before that, I had gone to get them and they didn't have them. They didn't even have a film section. So they had to be ordered from England. But... Now we have a very good collection. And when I took it out a second time, I do that every now and then. I take them all out and I watch them all again on a binge thing. I still have a DVD player. I'm not throwing it. So it's Blu-ray and it was top of the ray. Now it's, oh dear, the 4K is here. But anyway, the when I brought the books back, the librarian looked at me and said, you like Japan? And I said, I love Japan. And she went over to the back. It wasn't on the shelf. And she gave me a book from a woman that she was a traveler in at the end of the 18th century, start of the 19th century, which is very unusual Yes, for a woman to be right. traveling by herself. And a writing is a bit antiquated, but as a record of what Japan looked like back then, it's incredible. Yeah. And that book, the librarian went to get, because when books get old or whatever, they go into the pulp, which is you know, to be turned back into paper again. And she had that book on the pulp pile. And so I saved the book from the pulp, plus that I love the book because well, it really is... Story. Yeah, yeah, it's really priceless. It's her name is Isabella Bird, and in fact, I, I've she, she wrote three books: one about China, one about Korea, and one about Japan. And I used those books to set my novel. I had set it in a much earlier period, but because she has so much information, at, you know what Japan and China and, and Korea were like at that time. That I decided to change the setting of my novel to that period where I have a lot of information. So yeah, that, that kind of thing. So I, I love libraries and they're not the same. Everything's online. You hardly see a librarian. 
they don't know what you like. They, they, you never get something recommended unless obviously you go and ask. But the surprise of getting a new book that you don't know what's going to be and it's wonderful. You don't get that anymore. So we, with ChatGPT research, I came across, it listed a book on poetry called B. So I was introduced to Carol Ann Duffy, which is an amazing poet. She's an amazing poet because I was researching bees. I wanted books with names on bees. So ChatGPT gave me a little bit of that magic. You know, right. that Okay, there is a book called Bee. I'm going to buy it and see what it is. And it was poetry and it's beautiful. So yeah, it's weird what yeah, is... Yes, the use we give to all these new technologies is how we use them. Exactly. Like, the technology is not bad or good. It's us using it that make it good or bad. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. It's the world is what we make of it, isn't it? Yeah. So we better try and do something wonderful. And what about, is there any big life lesson that you'd like to share with our listeners? Big life lessons. Just one thing. Maybe that's the, something that worked for me, which is the harder I work, the luckier I get. This is a standard thing. I, a lot of <laughs> things have been written about it. But of course, if this is a smart, if you do it in a way which is a smart, then, you know, you'll get even luckier. <laughs> so yeah, th that I find uh, work for me. <laughs> so tell me the secret. What is this smart part? Tell me, as authors, what, would you, what are you doing that you think it's smart and is contributing to your, your life get, be getting better and better? the harder you work, which is actually something that I appreciate myself because people talk about miracles a lot, isn't it? And in, in my observation as a human being, I think that miracles do happen, but to the people that created the conditions, conditions. for those good things to happen, which is very similar to what you're saying, isn't it? Right. So what, what about, what, how do we have to be smart then? What I meant is not just work for the sake of it or to spend hours just because, but to actually do it in a way that is really helping you. That is really, maybe I said that because at time we tend or I tend to put a lot of work on something, no? And doing it smarter would mean to focus on the things that are really relevant, that can at the end have more of an, make you more efficient than wasting time on other things. It's just not work for the sake of it, but it's just work on things that can really help you. Absolutely. Yes. There, how do you strike that balance? Because as if you are an independent author, you pretty much have to do Everything. I don't do the illustrations and I don't do the editing. Everything else, the marketing, the promoting, I do get help with that too, but it's still an awful lot of work. How do you balance it? It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I, uh, it's a lot of hours invested on all of that. I get help as well. I get help with the editing of the book and then I get help with the book design, like to get the final files for the printer, that kind of thing. And, but everything else so far, I've been doing it on my own and I'm thinking of getting some help now on social media and other aspects where I don't have, I really don't have the time. Now, I always heard that it's better to have, to start promoting when you have three books. Then having mm -hmm. one or two, it always, I'm planning on doing, on focusing a lot in promoting the books as a series. Once I finish and I, at the time, a little bit before I start, I published the third book, then centrate more on the marketing aspects of that. So but, that will be in, in February, maybe 
Okay. And so far, you know, what, what have you done? I know we've done a joint promotion and that seems to be a really nice way to offer something that of value, isn't it? Because I thought that all the books in our, there was a bit of everything, a cute story. There was the environment, there was the bees, there was the coloring book. So we actually were offering people a, a lot of, I, I'm looking for more of those to do. Absolutely. I really enjoyed doing a joint. It was my first. Oh, have you done many of those? No, I did one before that. Uh, and then uh, now I am in another, in another final promotion. Yes, I'm going to join that one as well. I saw your name there. So I said, oh, <laughs> yes. What? So apart from the joint promotions that we're doing, is there anything else? Do you do Amazon ads? Have yes. you started with Facebook and Amazon? Yes, I do both Amazon ads and as well as Facebook ads. Yes. And how has your journey been? on those because it's a learning curve isn't it true uh with amazon ads it it went very well as long as i had saving nature under kdp select and then i wanted oh. yeah it, it really was selling quite well then after i took it out of kdp select because i wanted to have the book perma three at the ebook perma three then it just amazon ignored me <laughs> Right. So do you, you think ADP Select is a good thing to do? Yes, I think so. I think so. Okay. I living nature because of the because of what I think about what is with environment and everything. I wanted to have it perma free. I wanted to have it so everybody could access the book, which actually is not happening. Because uh, initially it was perma-free everywhere, and now I notice that it's only perma-free in the U.S. In Canada oh. and the other Amazon stores, and they put a price. It's a low price, but they put, they put a price on it. I, I think you have to, because I have my own shop, and I can put the price I want. But I, And for children's books, I think... There is something else to add to that. You have to say, so if I put my book at zero in my shop, which I do have, you know, like the coloring book, anybody mm -hmm. can get it and they will have to go to my shop because it's not even on Amazon because obviously I want people to know about the shop. But then if I put the book at zero in my shop, I have to write to Amazon to match the price everywhere. Yes. So you, yeah. So did you do that so with did the that. other? Yeah. And I did also through Draft Digital. I have the book free in a lot of different different platforms. And they and I wrote to Amazon and they did the price match initially, but they changed it. They just left it in the US, but they changed it in other areas. And I have to contact them again to write Of them. course, to have it corrected. Because if you want it for free, you want it for free. Exactly. Isn't it? Yeah. I didn't do mine for free because it has costed me a lot of money to produce these books. But I did put the first book, it's at 99 cents, which is almost nothing. It's right, right. Less it's than, ah. yeah, not even half a cup of coffee. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I put it at a low price because I do want it, the setting up of the story and the meadows. So, I do want them to read the following books, so I give them the beginning of the story for free, almost for free. Yeah, so is there any other marketing secrets that you've learned along the way, things that were hard to discover? Okay, I can't think of anything now, but uh, something else is like, Something else I do with the books is going to schools. Ah, how do you go about that? Because I'm working on a few little programs, you know, for different ages. And I do want to offer. How do you do it? So I initially I contact the schools. And then 
I'm doing it only currently with private schools because in in Ontario, unless you have published several books, uh, they have been published with, it counts also if you have published by, an, not as an independent author, publisher, but self-published, but by a publishing house, unless you have certain things, you are not in, in, uh, in the, like uh, the schools cannot actually order the books from you, or you cannot go and do a presentation of your book unless you are in that kind of a list, a government type of list. Oh. So if, so I, I contact them, uh, if they are agreeable, I go and I do a book reading and also I do a book signing because when I do the book signing, then the kids can buy the book from me and I do the signing at school. So, so that is a way for me also to, to sell the books. Of Which course. Is, yeah. Because otherwise it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm working on that. I didn't know that because that is some sort of prejudice, isn't it? That if you're not traditionally published. You yeah. Can... It's, it's much more difficult. It's much more difficult because then public schools, normally they wouldn't uh, take you to read, to do a book reading or to have any activity unless I built now, I built it up going to private schools and I have a, I can, they can vouch for me, that kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. And did it take you a long time to get your visits organized? Because I'm finding that it, there is a lot of time on that as well. It does take time, like the emails going back and forth and then you know, sending copies of the book, different teachers. Who to approach. Now I'm just sending it to the librarians or to the headmaster of the school. And those are the two people I send it to. I've been also going to making a list, taking a neighborhood and just going there with, with a book. And then I print uh, some brochure and talk to them. It's not always easy, but I can leave it there. Sure. So it's basically all the schools near you. You haven't well, started doing long distance not long distance actually what i've been doing like i've been doing also book signings in certain stores like there is a chain called indigo uh, which is a very well-known chain and then they don't take your books uh, in general but uh, if you do a book they accept you to go and do a book signing and then they keep them on consignment for a couple of months or a month something like that so when i have a book signing and that store I do promote that. And also I visit the schools around that particular store because then parents that normally buy from there, they know that this is happening and then they know that it facilitates uh, to have more people coming in as well. Wonderful. That is, I have to work on some of those myself for sure. Okay. If your life were a book... What would it be called? Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know. It's a difficult question. <laughs> I tell you, if you don't come up with a name, your podcast is going out without a title. Oh no. Because this is, I devised this way to, instead of being me trying to figure out what would be a lovely title for this podcast, this is the question I came up with so that I get the title for the podcast. So it's very important, Alicia. Okay. <laughs> Just pretend that now you've finished writing your children's books and you're going to do a memoir. What will the first book on your memoir be called? Yeah, a lot of different things happened. Something to do with adventure and, and life, like... Uh... Like something like life is an adventure. Life is an adventure. I like it. Is an adventure. Oh yeah, and the other little tradition on the Little Pages League podcast, I'm making it a tradition, is that I get a question from the previous guest for you, and then when we wrap it up, we stay a few minutes after so that you give me the question for the following guest. Okay. So your question is from a previous 
guest, which was also author, illustrator, is how do you keep your passion going or to keep working in the things that you love? The thing is that I don't have to keep it going in the sense that this comes from me. I, it's something I really like and want to do. So it's actually that motivating me to be active and to do what I do, no? So it's not that I need to something to keep me going. This is what keeps me going. It, it's your own passion for those right. subjects. and Absolutely. So the, I think that's what he wants to know. What fuels your activity as an author? And of course, if you have, because you have a lot of interests, don't you? Yes. Like the environment schools, teaching. Yeah. What impact are you making, Alicia, with your work? <laughs> okay. When I go to schools, I, I like to see I like to see the kids, the interest on the environment and all those things I would like them to take an interest in no? And also what is good about is that the teachers to prepare them for the reading they also do have activities re related to that with the children, no? drawings, or, or they have all kinds of things I've seen them do, which is fun. And, uh, and this is something that it's nice to see those kids involved, really involved in all of that, no? on, 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 the, on these things. On this. So that's, that's the kind of impact that I like to see. No? Absolutely. A happy planet, isn't it? Would be so nice. So, oh, yes. Where can people find you? On my website, uh, which is www.aliciacarboguja.com. C-A-R-B-O-G-U-H-A. Without the dash. Ah, okay. Without the, the dash. The website is without the dash. So. Okay. Are you on Twitter? Yes, I am on Twitter. I am on LinkedIn. Facebook and Instagram. And on okay. my website, you, I have the links to the go link. everywhere. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Alicia, it has been a real pleasure to have you. It's so wonderful. Really wonderful to have you. Maybe we can have another chat in February when you, uh, your book is out so that we can tell everyone. So I uh, thank you very much. And I'll bid you farewell for now. Okay, All right. thank you. Bye See bye. you later, Alicia. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Did you know that only 24% of people subscribe to the podcasts they listen to? Hit the bell icon to stay updated. And if you love the content, let others discover the podcast by leaving a review. Your support is crucial and very much appreciated. Thank you for listening.